The following story has been brought to you by storiestoinspire.org. I have a sister-in-law. I have a brother. Some of you know my brother, Simon. He has a wife. Her name is Shandy. Her maiden name is Gansberg. Her maiden maiden name, which means her mother's maiden name, is Denberg. Was Denberg. Her mother's mother's mother was Nemina. Very good. We have a real history buff here. So they come from a city called Shedrin. The Denberg from a city called Shedrin. Shedrin is in in uh, white Russia, Belarus, Lithuania, that area. That, you know, that zip code. <laughs> Shedrin. It was a very, very Chabad, Hasidic city. Shedrin. That's where her family comes from, the Denberg family. So she shared with me a story. This story, I'm telling you, if you came here tonight just to hear this story, it's worth the hit sauce. Whatever you pay to get in, emotionally, psychologically, mentally, whatever it's going to cost you to come home late, it's the hit sauce, okay? If not, Rabbi, Rabbi Weber will give you your money back. If you, if you don't think so, it's the hit sauce. My sister-in-law shared it to me today. Today she says shared it with me. She had a relative. She has a relative. Her name was Ida Bloomberg. Her maiden name was Finkelstein. She was a relative of the Denbergs. It could be her mother's maiden name was Denberg, but she was a relative of the Chabad Denberg family from Shadrin. She was born in Tafresh Nun Dalid, 1894. <laughs> So she was 14 years older than the Rebbe Dayat, the Balai Lili. He was born, remember, 1880, Tafresh Men. She was born Tafresh and she grew up in Shadrin, in a Chassidish uh, real. It was what's called, a, it was a very warm Chassidish uh, Russian community with serious Jews, authentic Jews, Oivdei Hashem. I knew some Jews who came from Shadrin, the Denbergs and others. She came to Canada she came from Hasidic stock and she had a very real Jewish heart so she decided she's not working on Shabbos she's not giving up her Judaism she got hired in a factory like many Jewish immigrants and she didn't show up on Shabbos you don't work on Shabbos she came back on Sunday and they told her one more time you don't come on Shabbos you don't come on Sunday you don't come on Monday you don't come on Tuesday she was stubborn she didn't come on Shabbos she was fired no bread. So she got hired in a new company. She didn't come on Shabbos. They told her, don't come on Sunday, don't come on Monday. She was fired again. And so she went from factory, I said company, factory to factory to factory. You don't work on Shabbos. There's no future for you. How long can a person fight? At some point, she broke. She couldn't. You need bread. You need a place to live. You need to support yourself. She surrendered. This happened to hundreds of thousands of Jews, probably a million or two million Jews. Very few can hold out. There was just, you had to eat. People had to eat. She couldn't resist. She surrendered and she started to work on Shabbos. She was a talented girl, Ida, my sister-in-law's relative. 
And she did very, very well. She was resourceful, she was smart, she was creative, she was ambitious, she wasn't lazy. And she rose in the factory. Her position was elevated and promoted higher and higher and higher. She did so well for herself, like every good Jew, she decided, what do I have to work for somebody? Yeah, like every good Jew, right? We all know that, yeah? <laughs> At some point, every Jew says, what do I have to work for you? <laughs> so she decided to go on her own, and she went on her own, and she did amazingly well. And of course, after a few years, she already had franchises. And now she had people working for her. And there were branches. She had a gewaldekatzlacha. She got married. Her, her name was Finkelstein, but it became Bloomberg. She got married. Her Jewish warmth she always kept. This was the immigrant generation, especially she, who grew up in a very warm, religious, from chassidish family, Chabad family. But she wasn't keeping Shabbos. And she felt hypocritical. I'm not going to keep Shabbos and I'm going to do other things, you know. So she let go of a lot of the, what we call the mitzvahs, the rituals, the commandments, the traditions, but the heart, the Yiddish hearts. Years pass, she's very wealthy, she's very affluent, not anymore the days of an immigrant, you know, trying to find money for challah. She's really doing very well. She has a husband, she has children. The war is coming to an end, and the Shanghai the Shanghai refugees, those who ran away from Lithuania, from Poland to Shanghai, Sugihara, Zochel Atoyev Sugihara, who saved thousands and thousands of Jews, were coming back. group went to Israel, the Miri Yeshiva, Canada, United States of America, also a group of Chabad Chassidim. Came to Montreal, and they established Yeshiva's Toim in Montreal. It was a very small yeshiva. I think it was nine or ten bachrim, but it was literally the early years. They needed a, a, a binyan. They needed a structure. And there was no money. This is the early 1940s. There was nothing. You know, nobody had anything. It's the end of the year, mid-1940s, early 40s. I think they came in 45. Which year did they come? You're a historian. Which year did they come to Montreal? 45? Okay. I was Bechavan, Baruch Shekivanti. She saw up as an ad somewhere that they want to, they're looking for a place. So she wrote a letter to the Rebbe Dayats. She wrote a letter to the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe in New York from Montreal. She wrote a letter and she said like this, I don't know if you'll accept my money. The I don't know that you'll accept my money because I'm not what I used to be. I know who you are, I know who your father was, I know who Yezeda was, but I'm not who I was. So I don't know if you'll accept money from me. But if you will accept money from me, it would be my privilege to purchase and build a building for the Lubavitchi Yeshiva in Montreal. The Rebbe Nayats agreed enthusiastically thanked her and indeed I believe Ad Hayoim, if you'll go to Westbury uh, Yeshiva you'll see Ida Bloomberg the Gedenkst Montreal, he's a Montreal Yid okay Ad Hayoim, Westbury, Ida Bloomberg, that's her from Shadrin, Denberg family one day 
after this, uh, she was coming to New York, and she wanted to have the schus to go into the Rebbe So she asked, and he agreed. And she came in. She was born, as I told you, she was born 1894. So she was already, you know, she was a mature, growing lady. She was seasoned. She was accomplished. She was very wealthy, very wealthy and very affluent and very successful person. The Rebbe saw her, and he thanked her profusely for what she did. And he was very makir and grateful. And he started to give her tremendous amounts of brachas. Tremendous. Blessing after blessing. And with every blessing, in Yiddish, she was speaking Yiddish, and she understood Yiddish, but with every blessing, she felt more and more uncomfortable. Why? Because she had, you know, good old Jewish guilt. <laughs> Matzpun, right? www.jewishguilt.com Every Jew feels guilty, and if you ever find a Jew who doesn't feel guilty, he blames himself. And she was a classic. And she felt that she was simply undeserving of all these blessings. He's blessing and and he was blessing her like you bless, you know, a, a matriarch, a, a rebetzin, a queen, a matronissa. You know, he's blessing her with kevaldeke, heileke brachas, with nachas, yiddish nachas, and teire nachas, and yerushamayim nachas, and chesidish nachas. He was just blessing her abundantly. And she she had an edelkeit to her. And she knew she's a mechalo shabbos, but for So she felt uncomfortable, but she kept on saying, amen, amen, amen. And the Rebbe was continuing, the Rebbe Dayatz. At some point she says, Rebbe, genug. <laughs> Rebbe, enough. Enough. So the Rebbe was taken aback. He says, I never heard somebody's blessing you and you're saying, enough, I don't want any more. Why? Why? Why do you say genug? She says, Rebbe, ich bin nicht from. I'm not from. Those were her words. And she said, the Rebbe Dayatz, you know his face, was a malachalikim. He looked up. His eyes looked straight at her. She felt it was like her grandfather looking straight into her eyes. And he said these words in Yiddish. Toch der meine mir weisenischt is from. My dear daughter. He called her my dear daughter. Toch der meine. We don't know who's from. That was the Yechidus. She went out. She remembered it. My sister-in-law tells me a postscript that a few years ago, there was a Montreal program called The Week of the Jewish Woman. And they invited her to speak. So she was speaking in Montreal. It was a very secular Jewish Canadian crowd. So she thought, what should I say? She said this story because it's her relative. She finishes. A woman comes over to her and says, Ida Bloomberg is my grandmother. And it touched her so deeply, because she was secular, the family was secular. It touched her so deeply that it helped her get closer to Yiddishkeit. The Rebbe knew very well. But the Rebbe Ratz was saying to Emes, the Pnimius, this woman stood up and said, Rebbe genug, ich bin from. And the Rebbe looked into her eyes and he said, Tochter meine, mir weiß from. And what he meant to say was, don't allow Torah and mitzvahs to turn you into a holier-than-thou person. Don't allow religion to become 
a quagmire. Don't allow religion to make you arrogant. Where you become the representative of God in contrast to everybody else who's inferior to you. Then you miss the whole plot. What does frum mean? We like in our sociological boxes to define people. This guy's from, this guy's not from. <laughs> it's resumes, it's good for resumes. But when it comes to Pnimius, when it comes to Lakus, you really know. You know what's going on in people's souls. So the Rebbe tells this girl, now she wasn't she wasn't seventeen. <laughs> she was a, a millionaire, a multimillionaire. He says, Tochter meine. You hear how you speak? My daughter, Tochter meine. First thing is, you're my child. Tochtamayna. This is a dvekus, connection, attachment. I don't look at people like you think I look at people. I don't box them in. I don't stereotype people. You want to give an x-ray? Let's do an x-ray. You want an x-ray? Let's do the whole nefesh. Let's do etzema nefesh. This is not justifying, it's not rationalizing, this is not liberal progressiveness where you're so open-minded that your brain falls out and there's no Shulchan Aruch. If you knew anything about the Rebbe Hayatz, you knew that he was the opposite. He was the biggest Leuchem Olchem But it does mean Yiddishkeit is never about ego. And it's never about my comfort zone. And it's never about me protecting myself with this camouflaged figure of I'm holier than you, and therefore I can be dismissive of you. It's never about judgmentalism. Real Yerushamayim means less judgmental, not more than judgmental. Why? Because if you really have Yerushamayim, when you look at another person, what do you see? You see heaven in them. And you bring it out in them. When I'm busy judging you, and being mevatel you, and breaking you, what does it mean? It means that I'm living in that space of narrowness and restrictiveness. Today, I say, when you look at a child, and you look at a bachi, you look at a teenager, remember these words. Of course, every person needs to put on tefillin. Of course, every person needs to keep Shabbos and to keep tayag mitzvah But don't be fooled by deceptiveness. Don't be fooled by externalities. Tune into Pnimius, and you'll see, and you'll discover a whole other world. Enjoyed this story? Come again. Bring a friend. Stories to inspire.org.